Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metza. We hope you are all enjoying the new year. And in just a few days, it's going to be a brand new day in America. And you know what we're talking about. I've got a couple of great guests on tonight to talk about an event that's happening on uh, the day of the inaugural. First up is... The prime mover behind Mother Banjo, Ellen Stanley, is a banjo and vocalist, banjoist and vocalist, and uh, she was raised in New England, based in Minneapolis for years. She's been called an outstanding poet by Inside Bluegrass. She was a Midwest finalist for the prestigious New Song Contest and has been featured nationally on Sirius XM Radio and CMT.com. Her latest album, Eyes on the Sky, artfully mixes her signature blend of folk, bluegrass, and soulful Americana that has become a hallmark of her live shows. Whether performing solo or with her award-winning band, she is an engaging performer that brings a playful energy to the stage, even when singing the saddest of songs. You can find more about her at motherbanjo.com, but we've got her live on the phone here in the Wall of Power Radio Hour. Ellen, how are you tonight? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me on the show, Paul. You know, some people are going to recognize your voice because they've heard your show (laughs) called Women Folk on KFAI, which airs every Tuesday from 4 to 6 p.m., replayed on Sunday nights at folkmusicnotebook.com. Sunday's at 8. How long have you had the radio show? You know, I think it's been about 19 years I've been hosting this show and over 20 that I've been hosting a women's book program because I did it for four years in college as well. So, yeah, it's been a long time uh, hosting the show, and it's been so, so wonderful, especially during these times, as you know. <laughs> you know, oh, getting to connect people through the airwaves when we can't see them in person at shows is so valuable. And uh, and KFAI has been such an incredible resource for the Twin Cities music lovers, fans, and especially the Twin Cities music community. They've, they've been playing Paul Metzen music, and before that, Cats Under the Stars music, when nobody else in the world would touch it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we always uh, joke that it's like, um, it's the one station where you're going to hear such a wide variety of music. And, and I think at one point, this was before my time, but I think the, the slogan for the radio station used to be, you know, uh, the programming so diverse, even we hate half of it. <laughs> <laughs> I remember exactly what it was because I was, uh, I would go down when I was playing in Austin, Texas. I'd play at uh, KUT on the Larry Monroe show, who was just a wonderful DJ who passed before his time. And I brought him down a poster, uh, for one of the KFAI fundraising drives and said, we have shows we don't even like. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's just so wonderful to have such a, uh, especially in this day and age, you know, there's so few radio stations, um, uh, even across the country, that really are community-driven, but also um, have been going on as long as KFAI has. And so it's 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 been ever-changing as the community changes. So the programming, um, you know, reflects um, the makeup of the community and always trying to respond to that. And, you know, when we have a more of a Somali population, we have more Somali programs. And, you know, it's just been really great to see it. it evolve even over the time that I've been involved with it. And I've only been there about less than half of the history of the station. So I, I remember Cats on the Stars did a show when it was back in the Walker Church in Seward. Mm, yeah. We go way back. I do remember that show because one of us brought a singing saw <laughs> for reasons 
we'll never remember. Anyway, there's a great event coming up on uh, inaugural day. Tell us about mm-hmm. that, and uh, and we're going to have Dar Williams on later, who is uh-huh. spearheading it. But uh, give us a little glimpse of what is happening on Steps 2021. Yeah, this is a really cool thing that that Dar Williams and uh, some other uh, other folks from around the country have been organizing, which is just the goal is to have sort of reclaim. Uh, the capital steps that were desecrated, um, you know, just over a week ago uh, with the with the riot that happened at the U.S. Capitol. And the idea is to sort of reclaim uh, democracy and celebrate it um, with positive images of uh, of of important steps in our lives and the steps to a brighter future for the United States. So um, this movement is just to sort of invade social media with positive images. So it's called uh, you can. People can find more information at steps2021.org, and um, and you can also find uh, you know social media stuff on on Facebook and Instagram at 2021 Steps. And again, the idea is anyone can participate. Uh, so you can just uh, take photos or videos of steps that are meaningful to you. Maybe it's a place of worship. Maybe it's your library, a park, your home. Um, and again, the idea is uh, to just celebrate. Um, democracy and the peaceful transfer of power. And that's um, from now leading up to Inauguration Day. And we also, uh, there will also be a lot of artists streaming live things on various steps across the country right before Joe Biden gets sworn into office on Inauguration Day. So folks can follow it, post their own photos, and um, and just, again, celebrate um, the peaceful transfer of power, which is what um, U.S. democracy is all about. It's an incredibly beautiful idea. I'm going to take part, and I encourage everybody out there in the AM 950 Radio Land to take part either by participating or enjoying it and helping spread the word. Ellen, you wear a lot of different hats besides uh, <laughs> uh, being a great musician yourself and a songwriter and performer. Uh, you were with Red House Records for years as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I uh I've gotten to do a lot of different things in the music world, which has been so much fun because first and foremost, of course, I started out as a fan of music. That's why right. I think that's why all musicians start playing it, right? Is mm-hmm. they want to be a part of that. And, um, and, uh, that was true for me too. In fact, I wasn't really even, uh, although I played music my whole life, um, my mother banjo thing and my song, my current songwriting, uh, thing didn't really get started until actually after I was at Red House. Hmm. Um, and, um, I, you know, I've been making music a little bit on the side, but I, I was really inspired to by all the artists I worked with and the um, touring songwriters and getting to see how the pros do it to really be like, yeah, this is time that I do this as well. But, um, yeah, I, I um, got my start at, at Red House. And before that, in college, I'd interned with a couple record labels. But Red House was always one of my favorite labels. And it was actually the reason I moved to the Twin Cities in uh, 2001. Um, I had talked with Bob Feldman about working at Red House, and it actually didn't work out. The timing just didn't work out, but I ended up moving to the Twin Cities anyway, knowing about stations like KFAI and labels like Red House and just the great music scene that was here. Uh, that's kind of what inspired me to move here. I didn't really have a job plan, but I eventually did end up hosting a radio show right next to Bob Feldman, who founded oh. Red House, and we became fast friends and radio neighbors, and and then he kept asking me and running into shows uh, running into him at shows at the Cedar Cultural Center, and he'd be like, when are you going to come work for me at Red House? And I'd say, when you offer me a job. <laughs> <laughs> and then eventually he did. And um, 
so I worked there for a bunch of years, and then I um, then I also ran the uh, nonprofit uh, Minnesota Music Coalition for several years, which support which supports Minnesota musicians of all genres across the state of Minnesota. And um, yeah, and now I um, run my own business out of my home, so I can raise my um, one and a half year old uh, <laughs> while also trying to make music here and there uh, where I can. These days, all online, of course. But um, yeah, it's been it's been a so fun to get to work with musicians, um, both local and national, um, as part of my job. I mean, it's so awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's the best of all worlds. And, and of course, Bob Feldman was such a visionary. We lost him tragically mm-hmm. years ago, way too young. But he, I believe, started Red House Records so he could start releasing Greg Brown music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And Greg Brown, one of my, my favorite songwriters. And oh. that's what was so great about Red House always is that um, uh, it was all just artists that Bob or later Eric, when Eric Feltonimi uh, took over running the label, just believed in. And that's even though it was um, and still is a for-profit label, we always joked it wasn't a non-profit label. It was a it was a low profit, label. <laughs> <laughs> meaning that it was it still had a mission, though. You know what I mean? Right. And that, I think that's like Bob used to always say it was like, you know, music that matters. And, um, and he was on a mission to, to make sure that people heard this, this music and these songwriters. And, and, and that was pretty much the driving vision of the label. And it's why, um, it inspired so many people to want to work there. Um, as well as, you know, artists who didn't really need the label, but just wanted to be a part of the family. Yeah, and Greg Brown, a cross between Van Morrison, Ry Cooter, Bob Dylan, and uh, <laughs> and uh, Robert Blake. I mean, he's uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. just phenomenal. We've just got a few okay. seconds left. Uh, Ellen Stanley also has a great publicity firm called EFS. If you're a musician out there that wants to get your work out, you can track her down at, was it EFS.com, Ellen? EFSpublicity.com. And, uh, yeah, folks can contact me there. I work with artists at all levels and provide other artist services. Um, so if you are just looking to get your name out there a little bit more or just want to talk with someone about what's next, uh, you can give me a shout. But um, hopefully I'll just I'll see all of you as part of the Steps 2021 thing. Again, it's the hashtag is Steps 2021, and you can find out more info at Steps 2021.org. Um, again, it's uh, a really cool thing, and um, I want to see all your positive images out there. <laughs> Mama Banjo, thank you so much for your time. We're going to listen to a track by Mother Banjo called Will Your House Be Blessed from her record Eyes on the Sky. Let it go, let it go. Let your sword of vengeance rest Do the blind, lead the blind Don't be cool to be kind Only then will your house be blessed A prayer, a prayer, a sweet, sweet prayer Welcome back to the second set of the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metza. We have a great guest on now. The uh, She is the prime mover behind 
Steps 2021, which will be happening happening on uh, inaugural day on Wednesday. Ellen Stanley told us a little bit about it. Dar Williams going to tell us some more. But let me tell you a little bit about Dar Williams now. She was hailed. Uh, by the New Yorker is one of America's very best singer-songwriters. Dar is also an author and activist. She was a regular at Pete Seeger's Clearwater Hudson Revival Festival and has toured with artists like Ani DeFranco and Joan Baez, who covered a few of her songs. Happy 80th to Joan Baez. Uh, she just celebrated her birthday a few days ago. What an honor to have a song cut by her, Dar. Her latest book, What I Found in a Thousand Towns, is about creative ways of community organizing. And her latest CD is Emerald from 2015, which features the great Richard Thompson, Jim Lauderdale, and Jim Jill Sabol. More info at darwilliams.com. Dar, thanks so much for taking time to talk to us tonight. Thank you. And where are you speaking to us from? I'm in the Hudson Valley in New York State. Oh, it's so beautiful up there. Did you live by uh, by our friend Pete Seeger? I did. He lived two miles up the road from me oh. uh, and put past his driveway and sometimes see him carrying out his garbage. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that is fantastic. So, Dar, yeah. before we get into uh, uh, your career and your music, let's talk about Steps 2021 and uh, the genesis of that idea. Um, you know, uh, um, after I wrote the this book that had to do with, you know, kind of how we take our social capital, which is, you know, financial capital, political capital, social capital is like we live in places where we know where we can borrow a cup of sugar. That's social capital. Right. <laughs> after I wrote a book of sort of how I see that, that, you know, writ large in cities and and towns where people have what we call social trust. Um, I, I, I wrote a piece that had to do with, you know, if somebody's coming to your town, if, if, if you hear that fascists are coming to your town or, you know, white nationalist marches coming to town, go to the steps of your community and, and call different congregations and call different groups of people who sing, because there's a ton of different people, if you think about it, and, and, you know, really gather um, and build bridges between you and sing a few songs like Somewhere Over the Rainbow. Mm-hmm. And um, you, you will know songs together that you can sing. Sure. And, and then, so I put that aside, that piece aside for a couple of years because it didn't seem, you know, like the right time. Um, but then when I saw everybody, you know, going up, sort of teaming up uh, on Capitol steps the other day, and I thought, those grand steps, you know, for anyone who's ever been to Washington, D.C., they're so grand yes. that that seems so promising. Like they're going to lead you into this place where we create our civilization it was just like the opposite. Of, you know, what they did was the opposite of how I see those steps. And so I started this thing where I said, everybody should go do that thing. They should go sing on the steps. And everybody said, no, <laughs> because it's <laughs> a pandemic. Right. So we're not going to go get with our gospel groups and our, our fabulous church groups and our synagogues. No. And, and so I said, and so then I thought, but I still want the steps because we do have these sort of, they're so august, you know, right. the steps to our libraries and our post offices and our schools, and everybody has it, even up to our own houses, mm-hmm. you know. So I said, let's, let's all take pictures of ourselves and, and, and videos of ourselves doing, you know, expressing the things that, that, you know, we associate with the steps that lead us into places where we collaborate and, uh, and work constructively and build the future together and have that social trust. 
And so it's great. It just had a lot of people said, oh, I know my favorite. You know, some people, it's their favorite steps are in parks and they're made of stone. Mm-hmm. Um, and some people, it's metaphoric and some people, it's ramps. So, you know, we got that kind of diversity of the way people enter into the commons and enter into those places where we work together. It was it, it was lovely to hear people sort of talk about that. And, and so we we just kept on going and going. So now on inauguration morning, people will... Uh, we want people to post on their Facebook sites and all of their, their socials um, and share with us pictures of themselves and videos of themselves, um, even if they've pre-taped or pre-taken pictures, um, their steps, them, them on their steps doing their thing or just them on their steps. That is a fantastic idea. Plus, it's such a great metaphor for other things, steps into the future, steps into heaven, steps to a better world. I mean, it's it's like the all-purpose metaphor for good things. Yes, and there's so much goodness. You know, I, I, the other thing is that I didn't like, I didn't like the idea of sitting on my couch on inauguration day waiting for something bad to happen. Right, right, and, right. And I literally heard this one station saying, um, we don't know what's going to happen on Wednesday, so stay tuned. And I thought, did you just use, you know, the threat of violence to advertise your station? Yeah, right. And, and so the idea, so... There's so much, you know, goodness and decency are not very flashy, you know, right. but they are so wonderful and uh, and every abundant <laughs> and you know, important and it's, mean so much to us. It's so. interesting because there was a great photographer in Minneapolis named Scott Strebel, and he uh, spent a lot of the pandemic taking photos of, oh, geez, at least 200 families on their front steps and front porch. Uh, that just recently oh. came out about a month ago. I was honored to be uh, uh, be one of the pages in the book. I'm going to get a hold of Scott because I'm sure he has a lot yeah. of stuff he can share, which is kind of, in a way, uh, a re- related idea because cool people, hip people, have uh, like-minded ideas for a better world. This is this is just fantastic. We are going to listen That's to a wonderful. song of yours, Dar, called Better Things uh, from your 1997 release, End of Summer. Tell us a little bit about the song and who plays on it. Um, you know what? It's by Ray Davies. It's a kink song. Okay. And it's a kink song covered. And it's, um, gosh, the people who played on it, um, the uh, the drummer from Saturday Night Live. <laughs> I'm blanking. Names Anton Fear. And it's not Anton. Okay. Um, uh, uh Anyway, sorry. The drummer from Saturday Night Live. <laughs> but um, he—he's well. He—he's another. You know. Anyway, he and he's a—he's a cat. He's right. a really great. But we played when we showed him that we were going to be doing this with like a banjo and a slide or whatever. This kink song. I remember he slapped my leg. He goes, "That's great. <laughs> Let's do it." <laughs> and um, so, uh, and um, my friend Steve Miller uh, produced it. Um, the producer Steve Miller and. Um, Anyway, it, it was something my sister led me to. It, when we were teenagers, she said, listen to this song. It just gives you so much hope. And I was like, you're a straight-A student who does everything right. Like, why do you need hope? <laughs> but I did. I thought it was very nice of her to, to bring me to this, this cool uh, song came out in the 80s. Well, we are going to listen to Dar Williams' version of The King's Better Things. We'll be back for two more sets with Dar on the Wall of Power Radio Hour. Some 
And the very best of choruses To follow all the doubt and sadness I know that better things are on their way Welcome back to the third set of the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metzen. My guest, and we're so happy to have her on, Dar Williams, who's got this great thing going on in inaugural day this coming Wednesday called Steps 2021. But let's find out a little bit more about the history of Dar Williams, musician, recording artist, and uh, community activist. Dar, when now, how did you get uh, involved in the music business, and uh, when did you start recording, and... Uh, Whatever else you want to talk about, we're interested to hear. Um, well, I'm I'm probably seen by people as a person who tries to write stories with her songs, and that's because I, I originally planned to be a, a playwright. I just thought that would be the coolest thing, but I moved to Boston, which is not where that kind of thing was happening. The local theater scene was really shaky, and so um, in the meantime, you could go to an open mic anywhere. <laughs> any day of the week, usually they had names like Half Moon or Full Moon or New Moon. Right, right. And um, there are a bunch in Cambridge, which is close to where I lived. And, you know, you could walk there, you take the tea there. So um, I went to an open mic with a friend who just started playing guitar. And he said, I'm going to go to an open mic. And people were so good. I was like, I, I'm not going to get up. I'm not going. And my friend was <laughs> like, I'm going to get up. He just played. Like, he'd been playing for a few months. So the next week I played. Um, and then the week after that, I went to a song circle at somebody's house and I got a big crush on this guy, John. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I'm going to go where John's going. So I said, I'm going open mic. The truth is out, <laughs> Dar Williams. Now we all know. <laughs> it, it was the dude. The dude. Yeah. The dude it, was, it, turned out, it, was, it was very, um, uh, I, when people say like how I have a kid who, who's interested in music, what should I do? I always say, Find go, where the <laughs> <laughs> go, go where the seat. I, I say a lot of different things than I used to say, maybe, but right. I generally say go where where the scene is because we were really competitive with each other, mm-hmm. uh, you know. But it, but but we were also sharing ideas, and we were also you know look, watching each other and telling each other about gigs and splitting gigs and yeah. fucking, and it was just really. I mean, it was like my boot camp. It was. Sure. Just, I mean that. No, I, that's, I don't mean to say that because boot camps are boot camps, but right. it's like a, a mini grad school. Yeah. <laughs> it was tough. Totally it's, get it. It was really amazing. Yeah. So here I am. And then, and then I, and then I, you know, did a whole bunch of songs. And then I, my first CD had a few songs on it that people, that resonated with people. One of them was called When I Was a Boy, which was autobiographical. And I was like, okay, okay, you know, this is for me and like two girls I went to high school with. Mm-hmm. But it turned out everybody sort of had that gender button that right. you know because it's about boys you know missing being girls right. when they were kids you know and um being like girls so that pushed the button then joan baez chose one of the songs from that album wow. to this thing in a duet and she took me around europe and the, all of the united states and um there are still people who come to concerts who say they heard me with joan and a year after that i did a lot of lilith fair shows and that was kind of amazing and then throughout it was just a really robust and you know this i mean gosh the twin cities uh really robust oh yeah um, coffee house scene yeah well not only a coffee house scene but a great theater scene and there's a lot of oh yeah you know when when i i was playing uh have you ever played the cedar theater on the west bank of minneapolis of course a million times yeah, yeah. well down at the end of the bar it's it's been closed for years 
called the 400 Bar. Everybody, uh, when I moved to town in 78, I used to go there and uh, they had music seven nights a week starting in about 79 or 1980. I started playing there with my band, Cats from the Stars, and 81 or 82, we did about four years of Tuesdays. But back then, you could hear Willie Murphy, Spider John Kerner, Tony Glover, uh, Bill Hinckley, and Judy Larson, who kind of the uh, mother and father of the Minneapolis folk scene. But when we played there, there was this uh, black cat, and he'd smoke uh, camel straights, and he had a tweed jacket on and a vest, and his tie was always untied. He was always writing in a little notebook, writing in a little notebook, and just kind of amidst all the madness of a, of a full, busy club. And a couple years later, I'm reading about this guy who is having his plays performed in St. Paul by the name of August Wilson. Oh, man. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he was there, like, regularly. He, there was also a theater right down the block called the Mixed Blood Theater where he had some of his first plays uh, performed. But uh, that was his thing. I mean, it was like I didn't – I knew he was cool, but I didn't realize how cool he was. But, uh, yeah, you're – That is – Yeah. I mean – and that cross-pollination is so great. That is so cool. Well, you know, actually, Minneapolis, you know, like people, that's actually a great thing. I tell people who are interested in theater to go to Minneapolis. I'm like, you can go to Chicago, Minneapolis, you know, L, uh, New York. Um, but, you know, if you, it, Minneapolis has that thing where you can kind of go rung by rung to a small theater, a bigger theater, a bigger theater. And you, of course, have, there's the Guthrie, but the Guthrie has different stages. And then there's also um, the the children's theater that's like Absolutely. the top children's theater in the country. So, yeah, no. <laughs> and then there's a lot of cross-pollination between the, the arts, which is really special. Not every city has as much of that. Yeah, and then you have, uh, you know, just a lot of the saloons and watering holes. Yep. All those all those artists of all stripes, all genres, uh, all shapes and forms are hanging out, drinking together, sharing ideas. Mm-hmm. Yep. I've been, I've been fortunate uh, to be a part of that for years. One of the reasons why I've never left Minneapolis, although I did sit in one night at the Plow and Star, which was an v- honor. I had to uh, talk to the guy and let me play his guitar, but uh, of course I had <laughs> heard about the Plow and Star. And um, I don't know if you ever got a chance to hear Spider John Kerner. He used to play the Plow and Star all the time and, and the Club 47 back in the day. You, you well, got yeah, yeah. Now there's a, yep, they're all part of it. <laughs> now there was a woman um, I got a chance to get to know when I was booking this blues club about 15 years ago in Minneapolis. I got a chance to get to know and book uh, the great Maria Mondor, who uh, spent a lot of her time, grew up in Greenwich Village, spent a lot of time in the uh, Cambridge folk scene. And there's a woman, and uh, her name comes up, and I read about her. I wonder if you know her, Betsy Siggins. Oh, yeah. Betsy was so cool. She, I was at uh, Chris Smithers' house, um, and uh, and we were managed by the same people, and and we were having a birthday celebration. And Betsy came over, and she said, "I'm going to save Pessim, which is what Club Forty Seven, right. that that mm-hmm. you know legendary club is." She goes, "I'm going to save it, and we're going to make it a we're going to make it an archive. We're going to make it like the Old Town School of Folk Music in Chicago. We're going to have lessons. We're going to have archives. We're going to do these things. We're going to get it together. We're going to have a board." And I was like, well, okay. Right. <laughs> she did everything. She did all of it. And um, and she was just, there was a big celebration um, for Passim, a big fundraising celebration. And Betsy was there. And Joan Baez was there. And they that was really lovely to see them together because they had been, you know, roommates in Cambridge back in the day. Right. So, um, yeah, Betsy, she's a, she's a force of nature, but she also pulls in the kinds of people who... 
like Ellis Paul is on the board and stuff. Like she, she pulls in these incredible people who just, they're really community minded. Yeah. I know Betsy Siggins. <laughs> well, you have to hook me up with Betsy because I know she has stories to tell and was a prime mover, but uh-huh. it's funny you should bring up Ellis Paul because I wanted to ask you about this because my mother's maiden name was Paul and that's where I got my first name and her uh, family came from uh, upstate New York and Nova Scotia. And I've heard Ellis Paul's music. I've read a lot about him and I've seen pictures of him and I have pictures of some of my great uncles. And I go, if you held a guitar, you would look exactly like Ellis Paul. So you got to hook mm. me up with Ellis. Got I got to see if we've got some, some mutual, blood, some, some mutual you know bloodlines. I have to, I have to hook you up with him because he's fantastic, but actually that that's his stage name. Uh, <laughs> well, it's good to know. Yeah, so I'm really, I just, it's a dead end, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just, well, let's not give out his real name. We don't want to blow his cover. Exactly, exactly. I'm not going to, we, but we call him Paul because that's his original first name. Okay, well, let's, then we'll go after Betsy Sigerson. Hey, uh, we've got go to, yeah, funny. We've got just a little time left. Uh, in this segment, we've got you on for one more segment. We've got Dar Williams with us on the Wall of Power Radio Hour. Tell us a little bit about uh, your latest book, What I Found in a Thousand Towns, the title of which I just love, by the way. Thanks. A lot of people think it's a memoir. It, it, it's more a how to be how to be a cool town or cool city. And and I just, because I've traveled so much, it's like towns and cities, they have a personality. And, and you know, musicians talk about this all the time. They're like, totally. Yeah. And you feel it, you know. It's really interesting. Like, you can feel the difference between uh, Minneapolis and St. Paul. There's yep. a little bit of a, a difference. And, and they're both really cool. And they're, you know, but it's not, and you'll go to, and you'll be like, oh, Claire, that's just got a good vibe. You right, know? it does. And so so the, the thing that I was kind of feeling in the air, I realized was also, you know, where people will do things like saying, they were going to tear down this building, but we talked to each other and we saved that building. And now the building is the cornerstone of our community. Mm-hmm. You'll hear that said by like certain towns and certain places. People say, if you want to do something, you can find people. And they'll say things like, we closed down the main street in the middle of winter and turned it into a big sledding course. And you're like, who are you? And, <laughs> right. and organize yourself that way. And um, so really what I, I realized is that there's this thing called positive proximity, which means the state of being in a community where, where you know that living side by side with other people is beneficial. You might dislike them. You might think they're a pain, right. but you're not fighting with them all the time because you know that you are, um, you know, hooking up these different skill sets. And, you know, today we have a little poetry reading by the river and then we have the conversation. The next thing you know, we're talking about opening a small cafe and then we're talking about putting a gallery next door and suddenly everybody wants to live where we are, you know? Mm-hmm. So I isolated the things that, that really create that, those beginnings of positive proximity, certain kinds of spaces, like the two room cafe, right. not just the one room where you serve the stuff, but like that, that second room where the depressed teenager can sit for a while and nobody <laughs> kicks her out. That's Three where I used to sit. <laughs> we need those like Don't, don't teenagers oh. need, I mean, Absolutely. Because those little, your poems turn into songs and ideas and dreams, and suddenly, you know, you go to a place where you can plant that seed. So, um, but, you know, also where you can have a little poetry reading. So the two-room cafe, I always say if you've got a waterfront, you know, create as much people space along that waterfront as possible because the metaphor of that flowing river just pulls us in. And uh, play on your history. 
uh, and play on your food, play on, you know, just like take what you have, even if it's garlic or apples, which is like a lot of towns, (laughs) you know, turn into something that is, that can become the next thing. And when people do that, they learn each other's skill sets and they learn what they can trust and respect. You even know who to avoid when you (laughs) have positive proximity. You're also like, that guy's a blowhard or, you know, that guy (laughs) is really negative. Um, And so, so it was, and and the third category I had sort of spaces and projects that you can pull on um, was what I call translation. So things like great radio shows like this, you know, like things that you can identify and feel that kind of different kind of campfire um, and good signs and, and things that make people want to, you know, extend their palms as opposed to clench their fists. If you have translation, you know, that is, that begets more trust and um so that's it was really really great to research i have a different city for each of the um things that i uh wrote about oh that's 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 my kind of reading material and then all of a sudden you do all that and you become dar williams who is our guest tonight on the wall of power radio hour (laughs) find out more about our darwilliams.com stick around we're going to have dar on for one more set and hear a little bit more about what's coming up this wednesday on steps 2021 Welcome back to the last set of the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metzler. Delighted to have Miss Dara Williams from the Hudson Valley. She is a poet, an author, a songwriter, and performer. And she's leading this great thing on Inauguration Day called Steps 2021. But before we get into that, she lived two miles from Pete Seeger. She used to see Pete carrying his garbage out. Dar, I have to think if anybody had his recycling very organized and in the correct bags, it was Pete Seeger. Oh, my God. Yeah. He was he really <laughs> every, – every time you saw him, he was doing something that you were like, yep, that's what he – like one time I saw him, and I actually put this in the book. I was walking down by the river, and I see this guy with a little chainsaw, like a tiny chainsaw, and his back is turned, and I'm like, that's, that's Pete. And he was <laughs> – Sawing some logs for the unheated sloop club clubhouse where they were going to be having their meeting, you know, uh, no doubt to talk about food festival or something, you know, right. Sure. And somebody saw him at a hardware store and he was buying a hammer. I know if he had a hammer, I better get a hammer, right? Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> you know, I heard a, a similar story. I had a great uh, journalist uh, originally uh, from Minnesota who's uh, spent a lot of time down in New Orleans for the last 20 years, named Michael Tisserand. He's also written three books about Zydeco music. And he walked across country in the mid-1980s uh, fighting all things nuclear, uh, nuclear bombs, nuclear power. And they ended up in Ohio and bumped in, they were camped out one night. There was dozens of them. And uh, uh, 
they bumped into Tiny Tim, who was doing a, get the, a gig at the Ramada Inn. They hooked up with uh, Tiny Tim, and somewhere during this evening at the campsite where they were, they all went to bed, uh, all camped out, and it's dark, a couple of campfires going, and Michael looks out his tent and sees this shadowy, skinny, tall figure picking up trash, right, just going along with his flashlight. And, of course, it was Pete Seeger. (laughs) (laughs) You you can't make it up. You can't make it up. He was, there was, we were at a festival once and we went for a walk and, you know, because he knew, like, I guess that I had done this thing with Joan and that I was this folk singer at at Clearwater and that I was trying to be helpful, you know, raising money for things like solar panels. And he's like, oh, that's, she's that kind of person. So we were walking through the woods together and I think he brought me into the woods to show me invasive species and to get me, you know, kind of impassioned about eradicating them with little groups of people. Like, so he's like, look at that. That's a mile a minute vine. They say because it grows a mile a minute. And this is, and people are stopping us as we go going like, you changed my life. Like I'm a different person because, you know, because of you, I went to jail because, you know, yeah. <laughs> and he's like, Oh, thank you. He's like, and that is a, called a devil's head, you know? Right. No, <laughs> it's, it, you are so consistent. <laughs> it's incredible. I was, I had the honor of playing at, the uh, tribute to Woody Guthrie in 96, sponsored by the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And it was about, we called it Woody Camp. It was like three or four days of of speakers and scholars and music and just an amazing thing. And I ended up in a van with Pete, uh, the late, great Jimmy LaFave, Harold Leventhal, Pete's manager with his lovely wife, Toshi. And we were driving, we had about a 15-minute ride uh, from the rehearsal to dinner at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And I told him before I went, there was a fellow by the name of Harry Jacob, whose family I was very close friends with. Uh, His son was one of my first sound men. His son, Kenny Jacob, went on to become the head of research and development for the Bose Corporation. And Harry was the Mm -hmm. head of the hematology department at the University of Minnesota. And when I told him, I said, I'm going to go out and be able to hang out with Pete Seeger. He says, you tell Pete, when I was in college in California in the mid or late 1950s, he saw a Pete Seeger concert, he said, that changed his life. So I told Pete that story in the van, and Pete pauses and says in that great uh, New New England accent of his, he says, well, you never know what you can do until you try. <laughs> oh my God! Then he also, so then he also yeah, told me one o- like one other thing. We were talking about, and this was like, well, we were talking about uh, hanging out with Woody Guthrie. He goes, "Yes," and you know how I, I'm, I'm doing a poor Wood uh, Pete imitation, but but you know what I'm saying when I'm talking about his oh, yeah. canes of speech. And he goes, "Yes." He goes, "I remember it was in 1938. Woody and I were in Seattle." And we heard the word hootenanny for the first time. <laughs> and I go, I go, this is like sitting next to Moses and go, Moses, that third commandment, how'd you get that one? <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I was on a train in Kansas when exactly, I got that commandment. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, really, I know, he, he says these things. And yet, you know, he, he, call, he was really interested in, like, collecting new things. We had a song, I, I sang Finlandia. And he, he hadn't really been familiar with Finlandia. 
And so he called to find out, and I was doing a project with planting bee-friendly gardens at, at summer camps. Mm-hmm. And um, my son called out and he said, it's a beekeeper. And I was in the garden. I was like, oh, okay, hold on, hold on. It was right. a beekeeper. He wanted to know what cord I'd used. And he was a real, like, <laughs> ethnomusicologist. And he called me once about a, a high note that I had put on one of the harmonies of the song we sang together. He said, I, I want to add that into the, you know, in the songbook that I'm putting together. And, <laughs> and so, you know, so he was in the present and he was so cool with like women. And, you know, he, he could have been kind of like not a listener, you know, yeah. more of it. But he was he was interested in stuff. I said, there's this thing, you know, you uh, there's a song you have called Oh, Had I a Golden Thread. And sometimes I. I just think that that's about the Hudson River. And instead of him saying, well, that's presumptuous, he said, we'll all be darned. (laughs) (laughs) You know, he's like not in it to make a fool out of anybody. And and people just threw all sorts of cool stuff at him. And he and yeah, you know, the one thing is he didn't want to be lionized. So I went to the, the Madison Square Garden, you know, celebration of his 90th birthday and and he was grumpy. Right, (laughs) right. Grumpy. And because and, and people kept on talking to him, saying "Happy Birthday" and "We love you," and and he didn't want to be the center of attention. Like right. he doesn't, he didn't. His power is to empower, so he was grumpy because everybody was loving him too much. And then he gets out on the stage, and I watched this happen. And he looks up at four generations right. of you know singing songs together, and knowing that it's that that's what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to sing, and he leads them in a song, and he leads them in another song. He sees all the ages. And he cheered right up, <laughs> and, and that was so. The only time that he wasn't happy was when he was getting too much attention. Like, <laughs> but otherwise, he was so gracious and funny, and and so was Toshi, his wife. May we all be like Pete Seeger, Dar Williams. This has been an incredible conversation. We have to chat again. Just give us so. about thirty seconds. Give us some hashtags for this coming up Wednesday. So, how can people check in online with Steps Twenty Twenty One? They, uh, it's, uh, it's hashtag steps 2021 it's hashtag peace with justice and it's hashtag the future we build together and please share with us uh and you can go to our facebook steps 2021 and our uh, and you can go to our website steps 2021.org for more information about how to do this and please please spread the word to your friends because that's you know all of us is what's going to really tell the story of all of us uh with the steps this is a fantastic idea, and uh, I love the metaphor for just stepping into 2021 and taking it into a beautiful and new and powerful territory in this democracy, in this country we right. all love so much. Dar, thank you. I look forward to meeting you in person, and we got to talk to you again. This has been just a ball. For me, too. Thanks so much. See you then. <laughs> all right, Dar. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Wall and Power Radio Hour. The show is produced by Paul Metza, engineered by Pat McWillie. We'd like to thank our guests, Dara Williams and Mother Banjo. Mother Banjo will have a Facebook Live show tonight following this show at 8 p.m. on Facebook at Mother Banjo. Thanks for listening. Follow me at paulmetza.com. And like my dad used to tell me, remember to be kind and make someone happy.